Welcome to the Creation Podcast. I'm Christy Hardy. Today, we're talking with ICR's National Representative, Dr. Randy Galuza. He'll share about an exciting new scientific model that explains how creatures are able to rapidly adapt to their changing environments. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Randy. Well, thank you, Christy. I always enjoy being with you. Well, thank you for coming. Randy, you've been working on a scientific model called Continuous Environmental Tracking. Can you tell us a bit about it? Oh, you bet. I'm really, really excited about this. It's it's a whole new, or as they'd say down here in Texas, a whole nother approach of looking at how organisms adapt. And we're actually going to try to look at this important function by creatures that they can adjust to environmental changes very, very rapidly as if Darwin had never been born. In other words, we're going to go back to the way biology was perceived prior to Darwin writing his Origin of the Species. How was biology perceived before Darwin? Well, Darwin, many people think, was just writing a book about species, but what he was really writing was an anti-design explanation for all the complexity that we see in animals. And Darwin, when you read his writings, you find out that he was really, really up to speed on how design things operated. And because he knew design very, very well, he was actually able to write a theory which is more or less an anti-design theory. It pushed back against all the major tenets of design. For instance, when you and I design something and we put it together, we build within the entity, the thing that we built, all of its capacities and all of its capabilities right into it. And if it's going to adapt and if it's going to be able to solve problems, we build into it the solutions to those problems prior to the challenges. That's just one, and that's the one that relates to adaptation most importantly. So it's looking at organisms from their internal capacity, and they relate to the environment. So they're intricately tied to the environment. What Darwin did is he inverted the cause of how organisms adapt from their internal capacity to the environment itself. In other words, it's the conditions that they are exposed to which causes the changes inside of them without considering all of this internal capacity. In other words, he introduced what would be called an externalistic approach to adaptation rather than the true design internalistic approach. So your model focuses on mechanisms inside the creature rather than outside environmental pressures. Is that the main difference between your creation-based continuous environmental tracking model and the evolution-based model? Yes, it is. Yes, you're right. Exactly right. That's a fundamental difference because organisms were designed to relate to their environment. So when conditions change, you will eventually see a changed trait, which usually solves the problems of that condition. Darwin could not see inside organisms way back then, so when the environment changed, he said that was the cause of the changed trait. But now we know a lot more. We can actually look inside organisms, and we can see what's really causing them to change. And those elements inside organisms correspond very, very tightly to the same elements in man-made systems, which enable man-made adaptable systems to change themselves. For instance, if a man-made system is adaptable, it has to be able to detect the change in its environment, which means engineers must supply it with a sensor. 
to keep track on what's happening in the environment. And then it has to have some kind of logic that says if the environment changes in one way, it should respond in another, and it will be able to respond to all different types of changes that way, and they have to have some kind of output response to make it happen. Lo and behold, now that we can look inside organisms at the molecular level, we find that they have sensors. We find that they have logic, and we find that they have output responses which are really controlling their change from the inside out. In other words, organisms really are not being adapted by their environment. They really self-adjust to the environment. Can you give us a couple of examples of how creatures self-adjust to their environments? Yes, organisms really are, as the model says, continuously tracking environmental changes. And that ranges everything from really fast physiological adjustments, which we're all very familiar with. So if I were to yell bang really loud in a crowded room or set off a firecracker, people's heart rate would instantly jump up because they had a sudden dose of adrenaline and their heart rate would go fast. That's a fast adaptation to something physiological. And we've seen organisms change over long periods of time. But we also know that organisms now can actually adjust very rapidly to sudden changes in their environment because they're able to detect those changes. So here's a really interesting example. There's a a famous researcher, a lizard researcher named Jonathan Losos from Harvard University, who does research on lizards in the Caribbean island. And a hurricane came through and unfortunately killed all the lizards on seven small islands. And the islands were populated with vegetation, which was short and scrawny, kind of like sagebrush that we would see. Well, in a fascinating experiment, he took lizards from another island and the lizards were living in trees. And he repopulated those islands that were decimated with it. And he predicted that over a short period of time, they, as he said, would evolve shorter legs. And guess what? They did. In fact, in less than four years, those lizards, they didn't evolve legs. They self-adjusted, and the legs were shorter, enabling them to maneuver agilely on the short, scrawny brush rather than the long legs, which enable them to live in the trees. So we can see these adaptations happen very, very quickly. How do evolutionists explain that? Evolution is so often described as something that happens over long periods of time, through random changes. How can they explain such rapid adaptation? Very, very difficult. It doesn't fit in with their model. Even though they try to absorb those observations into their model, When anybody looks at evolutionary theory closely and if they give theory its real meaning, it doesn't fit because evolutionary theory would say just exactly as you observed, random changes because random is the opposite of purposeful. So as I mentioned, it's an anti-design explanation. So purposeful things happen through highly regulated mechanisms and through directed means. And so the evolution explanation is supposed to be random, and it's also supposed to be very, very slow. In other words, it happens iteratively over many generations through the accumulation of these mutations. And it happens through a trial and error or hit and miss process where these traits are fractionated out through terrible struggles of life and death over scarce resources where only a few with the traits would survive. And so the process should actually take a long time. It should have fits and starts, and it may not even end up at the right place where you would want to find it. So when you find lizards that can respond very rapidly with highly targeted results, that doesn't fit with evolutionary theory. And so they really are struggling to explain it. In fact, some are even calling for a complete revision in many areas of evolutionary theory. We'll talk more with Dr. Randy Galuza in just a moment. 
But first, let me encourage you to get his latest book, 20 Evolutionary Blunders, Dangers and Difficulties of Darwinian Thinking. Darwinism has ruled science for over 150 years, but few know of the forgeries, false predictions, and other errors in its history. Get your copy of 20 Evolutionary Blunders at icr.org store. Did you know ICR is coming to the Boston area? Discover solid answers to your creation questions at the Uncovering the Truth About Creation Conference held at Calvary Christian Church in Linfield. On November 17th, ICR scientists will present evidence that confirms the Bible and equip you with answers to defend your faith. Register today at icr.org slash boston2018. Now, let's get back to our talk with Dr. Randy Galuza. Randy, why do you think the CET model is a stronger explanation than natural selection? It's a much stronger explanation because it's not mystical. When people start talking about natural selection, nobody really knows what's being selected in the environment. And nobody can really measure any of these so-called selective pressures. These are all concepts which exist only in someone's mind. So they're really, really mystical. And nobody's ever documented that the environment ever can really select for anything. That's also a concept that when an organism produces traits which solve a problem and it fills a niche, which I would explain from a design standpoint as a, as a tremendous design success, giving credit to the systems that are in the organism that ultimately the Lord made, they would give credit to the environment by saying it favored those organisms or it selected for those organisms, which are really just projections of agency onto the environment and taking credit from where the credit really lies, which was with the mechanisms in the organisms themselves. So one value is there's no mystical steps. When an environment changes, eventually we'll be able to detect the sensor to detect that change, the logic and the output response, and we'll have a real causal link from change to response, which shows everything in between which affected those changes. What can creatures' rapid adaptation tell us about God? Well, it tells us that God is a genius, obviously, because from an engineering standpoint, it takes just kind of a basic level of engineering expertise to make static things like a chair that doesn't change. It takes a higher level of expertise to make a simple adaptable thing like a thermostat on a wall which can adapt a a furnace or an air conditioner to keep a temperature at a certain level. It's a higher level of adaptability to make a car which can stop itself when it detects another car around it. And it takes even a higher level of genius to make adaptable things which function almost like an artificial intelligence where they adapt and then they can learn from their responses or they can learn from responses around them. And when they adapt again in the future, it may not be in the exact same way that they adapted before because they can learn from what they've done. That's like artificial intelligence, and it's very, very difficult to do that, but organisms do it all the time. They adapt, and they learn, and they self-adjust, and so we're approaching levels of human prowess, which are at the highest level we can imagine, and organisms even eclipse that. So in terms of comparing it with what humans can do, it shows that the Lord is an engineering genius, and it shows his profound wisdom to balance so many competing needs together in a system which just functions at an optimal level. What kind of impact do you think this new model will have on science going forward? 
Well, in two areas, of course, we have creation science, and I hope it'll completely change the thinking from an externally driven worldview and a selectionist type of worldview that has a lot of mysticism wrapped up in it to more of an engineering-based view, which is very precise, looks exactly at what's happening, and identifies all of the key system elements in it. So I think it'll... And I hope it'll add some precision to our explanations. And what it will do in the evolutionary world, I don't know. But I do know some evolutionists themselves are trying to break away from the straitjacket of externalism because they're finding all of these features and creatures which don't fit standard evolutionary models. So whether our model will change that or not, I don't know. But some of the same data is going to change thinking in both camps. Randy, how has your engineering background come into play as you've been doing this research? Well, this is where you look back and you just praise the Lord for his sovereign control over so many things. Because when I started out as an engineer, I really didn't know exactly how all of that engineering prowess was going to work into the creation science ministry. And I was looking at more of my medical education of going to medical school as being very useful there in understanding biology. But now looking back, I see that biological systems function by the exact same engineering principles which govern man-made systems. God could have used any mechanism he wanted to, but for some reason he chose that biological functions would operate by the same engineering principles as man-made things. The man-made systems are so clearly designed that person would be without excuse to claim any other origin for them. And since the biological systems function by the exact same mechanisms, we're really without excuse in concluding that there was a great designer for them. So this engineering background has been a great asset in understanding the operation of biological systems. What led you to get involved in this particular area of science? Well, in researching continuous environmental tracking, what really was a clue for me was the biblical passages where God says that we are his handiwork and that we are his workmanship. And I started to think, wow, what are the elements of workmanship and what makes those operate? And it's the engineering principles behind any man-made system which explains how they operate. And then I wondered, since he said we are his workmanship, could there be corresponding elements in creatures that are matching to man-made systems? And I found that there were in many, many different areas. And in particular, with continuous environmental tracking, I looked at man-made tracking systems, particularly with drones. Drones that are able to track another object without any human intervention, and they do it very, very well. How do they operate? Well, I found that they actually had the sensors and the computers and the logic and the output responses, which enabled them to follow very, very closely with a moving target. And then I thought, hmm, maybe that's how organisms are tracking environmental changes themselves. The changing environment is like a moving target, and maybe they're able to detect the change just like a human tracking system would through their use of sensors and logic and self-adjusting mechanisms to stay in close contact with these changing environments. So it went back to Scripture that we are his workmanship, therefore we probably have some common elements, and I looked for what the elements were in man-made systems and see if I found matching ones in creatures, and they did match. Where do you plan to go from here? What's next? Well, the plan for future research is to hopefully do some experiments 
and maybe even do some experimental models right here at ICR with some model creatures. I'd love to do it with some lizards and subject them to some changing conditions, tightly controlled, and with the help of our geneticist, Dr. Jeff Tompkins, actually do some genetic sequencing and see if we see some changes in the genes and also to check for epigenetic changes as well. So the next step would be to do some actual field experiments. Why is this model so important for Christians to understand? Well, it might be somewhat technical for the average Christian to understand this, and I recognize that, but it is important because if organisms cannot adapt, then a theory of evolution can never get going. But because they can change, someone can imagine that they can change indefinitely. So explaining how organisms are adapting is vitally important. And it goes back to our view of the creator and the creature. Darwin sees them as passive modeling clay being shaped over time by their environment, and that the, it's the environment which is the cause of the diversity of life on Earth. Therefore, you don't need a designer because nature itself becomes the substitute designer. Nature gets the credit, nature caused the changes, and nature is ultimately driving the show. On the other hand, if organisms were actually built with the ability inside of them to rapidly self-adjust to all these changing conditions, it helps us see organisms in a completely different way, from passive modeling clay to active problem-solving entities fulfilling their divine mandate to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And as they do that, it reflects the genius of their great creator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Dr. Randy, thank you for joining us today. You've helped us see how creature adaptation points to God's elaborate design, not evolution. And thank you, podcast listeners, for tuning in. If you'd like ICR to answer your creation questions on future episodes, send us a message on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash ICR science. Remember to subscribe to the Creation Podcast on iTunes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. Join ICR next time for another episode of the Creation Podcast.